0: Hope you guys are doing well. It's good to see everybody today. Let's pray and then we're going to get into the word. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your your presence. Kyle just pray. It's Lord, even if even if we give and don't see immediate, immediate increase, you're en- you were enough before we gave. You're enough after we gave. Lord, you're enough in and every and through every cir- in and through every circumstance. And I thank you, Jesus, for your sufficiency. And I thank you, Lord, that even as we sign, it, you don't have to come, but you always do. Show up in splendor and you change the whole room because you just like to show off, and I'm so thankful for that. Lord, help us this morning to glean from your word and to hear your voice clearly. Holy Spirit, we ask you to continue, even to increase your work and your activity right now in the room. And I encourage each of you to just just remain sensitive to the Lord during the next minutes as we're we're not, this isn't like the part of the service where we get to turn off the presence and, and just kind of sit and, and listen, but it's, it's hearing from him. And Lord, I just ask that you keep my words from error and, uh, just want to be a, a mouthpiece for you in Jesus name. Amen. amen. All right. Open your Bibles if you would to second Kings chapter four. Or as some of my new believer friends have called it in the past, Two Kings. They love it. Two Kings and there's a book about jobs and it's it's a great numbers. I mean they're just it's it's a really practical book. Speaking of, Patty, can you hold up your Bible real quick? Because when you came up here with your Bible, I felt like like I have the word of God, and you have the word of God. Look how big that thing is. Not, oh, okay. I looked at it, I was like, that's like three Bibles in one. There's, I was pretty impressed. I heard what you said too, but I was like, oh, wow, her Bible is really big. Made me feel a lot less spiritual. That's right. She lifts it. Well, oh, Patty, you could preach. All right. Today we're going to talk about Jesus. Um, but, uh, if you were expecting something else, sorry, (laughs) but we're going to start by talking a little bit about Elisha, uh, who, as you'll see, if you read through first and second Kings, uh, the stories of Elijah, Jah and Elisha, um, really a foreshadowing of Christ in a lot of ways. Actually the book, some of the stories that we'll read through, or one of the stories we'll read through today. And some of the ones that I'll mention actually read a lot like the gospels. It's really it's entertaining and it's, it's really cool. Um, but we don't have time to, to go through all the preface of everything that I want to, all the information that, that I have in my head right now, um, that led up to this word. So I'm just going to try to hit some of the high, high points. Um, you follow along with me the best you can, but start at the end of first Kings, the beginning of second Kings, you see this, this transition start to take place where Elijah, Right, the prophet, actually, he goes and he finds Elisha in a field. And Elisha's a wealthy man. He's out there uh, actually running the 12th pair of oxen in his fields, right? So there's 12 pairs of oxen plowing a field, and he's personally manning one of them. And Elijah walks up to him and throws his cloak on him. It's this sort of like confusing story if you don't know what's going on. And basically what it is 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 Elijah has been given a word that He's going to take over your ministry, Elisha. And so he symbolically goes and he puts his mantle or his cloak. There's different words that are used in your different translations on him. And that was Elijah's, that was all he was supposed to do, is just do that. And then he leaves. That's what the story, he walks away. And Elisha runs after him and is like, wait, 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 let me kiss my mom and dad goodbye first. And then Elijah says, something that is written, sort of confusing in some of the translations, like, what does that mean? Basically, to clear it all up, what it is, is Elijah didn't expect Elisha to respond that quick to the call. And it wasn't Elijah's job to convince Elisha of anything. Uh, So he just, he basically says, you can do whatever you want to do. You need to go back and say bye to mom and dad. That's fine. Go ahead. I'm not telling you to leave with me now. He goes back and kills all the oxen and has a barbecue. He, he takes all the plows and uses it as wood and, kill, and he leaves and he follows him now, right then. So there's just a lot of sermons in there. That's really fun. But that's how, that's how Elisha kind of gets started. So then we start to, we start to read on and we see all these these workings of miracles that come through him. Uh, you see a story of, of he, he heals the water that's what your, your Bible calls it he heals the water, puts some salt in you know all these cool things that happen. Uh, we see the story you guys remember the story of the widow's oil, right She has this little bit left and he comes and works this miracle and then we see the the Shunammite son. do you remember he goes into the city and she she makes a place for him to stay every time he comes into town she wants a son. He, he prophesies that she'll have one, she has one, and then he dies. He's out of town. He comes back, lays on top of him twice, and he, come, he gets raised to life. That's awesome. We see the story of Naaman, the leper. The, the, the leper was the commander of the army, but he has leprosy, and uh, he obeys and bathes seven times in the Jordan, and he gets healed. It's all these amazing stories. And then we see this story in your Bible. It's called Death in the Pot. And you read, and I was like, what? Okay. So that's uh, 2 Kings 4, 38 through 41. So I'm going to read that real quick. You guys follow along with me. It's in the midst of all those stories that are reading like the Gospels, okay? Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these men. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs, and he found a wild vine, and he gathered some of its gourds and filled the fold of his cloak. When he returned, he cut them up in the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it in the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Okay. Okay. It's a really interesting story right in the middle of all these huge miracles, death in the pot. Um, I'm going to break this down for us and then eventually get where I'm going, I promise. But it's really, really cool. I think it's important that we realize what's happening here because I, I did a lot of study on this this week. There is so much noise and chatter in different uh theological commentaries and opinions about this there's there's seriously fights and arguments over whether or not the flower was supernatural or whether the the stew was poisonous and whether whether they meant death like they were going to die or or the word actually means evil whether it's evil and the, there's so much bleh, 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 and I was and I was like it seems simple to me I don't know I'm sort of simple minded so maybe but really I think that's uh, the point is that I think maybe some overthink it a little bit. So I think it's a little simple. I'm going to break it down for us. Um, number one, there was famine in the land, right? That's what the first, that's what the first verse says. Elijah returned to Gilgal. There was fa- famine in the land. So food was scarce at best. Everyone was most likely in fear and self-preservation mode, probably hoarding all the dust masks at Home Depot <laughs> so that the carpenters can't buy them when they need them. And that's all I'm going to say, because my wife told me I'm not allowed to talk about any of that. Which is only the second time in our marriage that she's instructed me not to say something from the pulpit. But she's in the nursery this morning, so. That's all I'm going to say. But everybody, but this is, this is, this is important to the story. It's also important to the story we're going to tell right after this. But there's a famine in the land. Food is scarce. Elisha is in a staff meeting with a bunch of other prophets. And, he, and he, says to his, he says to one of the servants, this is it. Get this. There's a famine in the land. He comes to town to have a staff meeting. And he looks at one of the servants and says, go put on the large pot and make stew for everybody. And you can see the servant like, what? It'd be like if I sent someone to the store for dust masks today. He'd be like, what? You know, they don't have any, you know, and uh, and but he listens. He goes, okay. So he goes out to to make some stew. Now I'm sure he got the eyebrow raised from the other prophets around the room too. May, I mean, maybe they were all men of God, so maybe they were right there with him on his faith level. But um, Elisha's faith was not predicated on what he saw in the natural. It didn't. It didn't shake him. Elisha was known if you study the life of Elisha, he was sort of known as, as kind of a guy that wasn't necessarily popular outside of his gifting and calling. It wasn't like somebody you'd have over for dinner because he's just so just so good to have around, he's so hospitable, he's so loving, he's so oh, he's just so tender and like no, he he was just powerful. But his faith wasn't predicated on what he saw. He didn't live from earth to heaven. He lived from heaven to earth. And at the time, there wasn't a famine in heaven. So at, at the time. The so servant goes out to make food. Uh, most likely out of, I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting the story here. Okay, uh, this is Nate's, Nate's opinion here. Most likely out of fear or not wanting to present all of these prophets with a, with a weak broth. Or you know, he's like, this guy just gave me an instruction that I, I really don't know how to do because we don't have the supplies to do it. So not wanting to bring them something lame, he just goes out and goes, that looks like food. And he takes it and that's what it is, this wild vine. We don't know what it is, but it's important that it mentions it. It was not edible. It, it look, there's plenty of stuff that looks like food. There's berries on trees that'll kill you, but they're pretty. <laughs> You know, so he takes this food, he cuts it up, probably wanting to beef up the stew, pardon the pun, and he uh, he makes it and he serves it to the prophets. And the prophets take some bites and they go, "Oh my God!" You know, this is like this is prophet. So the, the word the word used here is evil for death. They said They're death in the pot. You got to remember, this is a group of hyper spiritual guys, right? So they take a bite, and they're like, <laughs> you know, they're like, the, the devil's trying to attack us out of the pot of stew. You know, so it was very, probably trying to, I'm, I'm guessing they were interpreting the, not, you know, very spiritual things for everything around them, because if you've ever spent time around prophetic people, that's what they do, right? They walk by the microwave. They're like, oh, my God, it's 9-11. <laughs> You're like... You're like, yeah, twice a day. It's not like, yeah. You're laughing because you've all spent time with prophetic people. But this is what they say. There's death in the pot. And Elisha's like, get me some flour. And in my opinion, the flour was not, it wasn't, this isn't a miracle. In my opinion, I'll tell you why. Flour, just, I, I know some about cooking. And flour is what's emul- called an emulsifier, okay? So flour is the reason why when you eat something spicy and then you eat some bread, it helps take the spice away because flour, right? Sherry, if I'm lying, I'm crying. Sherry, can- flour actually absorbs acids and bases. So it can take bitter and sour out of food. So this, this stew probably tasted, I don't know if it was more sour or more bitter. I'm guessing more bitter. Well you add flour to it, and it can, it'll neutralize that flavor, and make it, and make it taste okay. It didn't say that all of a sudden it tasted like in and out Burger. It said that it said there was nothing harmful, which basically implies they ate because they were hungry, right? So check it out. The servant goes out out of fear. What am I going to do? He just gave me this command. We don't have any food. Uh, I'm just going to put some stuff in it. They eat it. It's disgusting. Elijah fix it. Elisha fixes it. Okay. All right. Number four. I'm sorry. That was number four. Um, we have to ask ourselves, the most likely Elisha had encountered similar things. There was a famine in the land. It probably lasted for a while, but he was also an agriculture man. Okay. Remember where, where he was first found was plowing his field. I'm not saying he's an Aggie. Remember, he's a man of God. So, mm-hmm. The, but, he was, but he was familiar with this kind of thing. That's, an, that's another reason I don't believe this was necessarily the same type of thing as where he threw the salt in the water and the water was all of a sudden, you know, not going to kill you anymore. I don't think it was the same thing where he went and laid on the Shunammite's son. I don't, I don't know that putting flour was necessarily a supernatural act. On that, and that's why I believe that. But you have to ask your question, or I had to ask the question, if it's not, then why are these four verses jammed into the middle of this book that reads like the gospels? Yeah, that's the question we have to ask. And I think, I think the answer, at least a answer, is really because when the going gets tough, it's tough for some of you now. It's going to get tough for some of you later. It's been tough for some of you in the past. You have options. We've got options. We can choose to react to toughness, react to conflict out of fear or an abundance of fear and, and lack we can we can react to it like that. That's what this servant did, or we can uh, react out of faith, out of an attitude and a heart posture of abundance. Here's the point: it all comes down. I believe it. It boils down again. Pardon the pun. To to Jesus. It boils down to. Do you trust? That he's sufficient? Do you trust that he's enough? And do you trust that he's going to do everything he said he's going to do? Hold on to that for a minute. I believe when it comes to, when it comes to lordship, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. We know that Jesus, we know from scripture that he's made us co-laborers with him. The only, what Pastor Glenn pointed out this morning to me, we were talking and it was a really good point. The only way that we can be effective co-laborers is if it's Jesus plus nothing when it comes to lordship. If it's Jesus plus new age, Jesus plus politics, Jesus plus sex, drugs, and rock and roll, Jesus plus... This person's opinion, Jesus plus Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, Jesus plus my fear. That's called mixture. And it's just not good. Paul Norris will appreciate the math. Jesus plus nothing equals Jesus. But Jesus plus anything equals not Jesus. <laughs> right? So that was real simple math. <laughs> so and I and I think it's I think it's important. And I'm gonna show you why. I can tell you with just about as much assurance as I am allowed that if that servant would have gone out and done the best he could with what he had, that the Lord would have made the stew, then you would have had a miracle. It would have tasted good, and it would have filled him up. The reason I believe that is because of the next three verses, starting in 42. A man came from Baal, Shalishah, bringing the man of God Elisha, 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain. He was bringing his best first and a tithe to the Lord. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a 100 men, his servant asked, which, as we know, means there was most likely way more than 100 people there. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. It had been in God's heart, is in God's heart, and will be in God's heart, for there to always be enough for his people. This was, this little three verses usually sits in the shadow behind Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, because it's in the, it's Jesus. It's in the Gospels, and he fed way more people with way less food. Is it it a different power that was at work here? Is it a a smaller miracle? No, it's not. It had always been in God's heart to do this. I believe that, with conviction, that had the servant, now this is just, it's speculation, so this isn't scripture, but had the servant gone out and just done what he could with what he had, that these three verses, I I don't know that they would have needed to be there to make the same point because you would have had the miraculous the miraculous uh, expanding of the stew story or whatever. It would have been life in the pot is how it would have been. Uh, And then it would have been miraculous and he wouldn't have had to put flour in it. It was, well, the servant went out and all he could do was fill the thing with water and a few herbs. And he set it before the men of God and they ate and there were chunks of meat in it and there were vegetables in it that weren't there before. And they went, (gasps) I mean, I'm just guessing, but you see my point, It, 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 God's heart over the matter didn't change the reaction of the men and we, or the men of God in this, in this instance is what changed. When we react out of fear and a heart posture of lack, we will always try to mix things with Jesus. We'll say, yeah, it's Jesus plus what I can do. Or, Jesus, Yeah, you can go that far, but I'm going to take it the rest of the way because I don't see a path forward and you're not saying anything, so I'm just going to do it. But when we wait, and let him do it, then he can feed 300 people with a few loaves of bread. Then he could feed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He's just waiting to do it, but it doesn't make any sense. So when we live from earth to heaven, we're going to try to overpower, overstep, and add our two cents to Jesus, to, to, the, to what he's saying and what he's doing. But when we live from heaven to earth, we can go, Oh, well, there's no lack in heaven. There's not going to be lack here. I mean, that's, that's the way we live. There is, we do observe lack here. But when we live from the same reality that Elisha was living through, what we see in the natural is not going to predicate, or is not going to be what we predicate our faith on. Does that make sense? I want to know how often do you and I, how often do I do this? I go out and start picking wild gourds and putting them in my stew because I'm afraid that it's not going to be beefy enough. Do you guys understand? I do it. And all the while, God's waiting to multiply what we have into what we need. I've seen it and I heard it more and more recently. Just a couple more small points here. Believers, um, true believers in Jesus attempting to, to add things in. It happened, It's happening in the church, especially in the charismatic church. You hear people um, Yeah, 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 Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus. But also, you know, also I've been doing tarot cards. It's awesome. And it's so prophetic. You're like, what? Oh, yeah, I just, I pray to Jesus. But then I also, I prayed to Buddha and he totally heard me. Like I saw Buddha in my dream and Jesus and Buddha are friends and it's all good. And you're just like, that's what I'm, that's the mixture I'm talking about. We cannot do stuff like that. That's, that's dangerous those are inedible gourds. If you read the book of Colossians, what I'm describing to you that I've seen and observed in the church, not this church. I'm not saying River in the Hills. I'm sorry. Just amongst believers. But what I'm describing is actually something that Paul wrote to the Colossian church about to correct. So you guys know that Paul didn't plant the church in Colossae, and he actually wrote the book while he's in prison. So he's hearing about this church while he's in prison from, from people you know, through the grape, the grapevine, so to speak. And he writes a letter to encourage them, but also to correct a few things. And one of the main things he was trying to correct was Gnosticism. Gnosticism is just a really fancy word. It's the root word gnosis just means knowledge. Gnosticism, basically the the religious way of saying i'm trusting in enlightenment and knowledge and and other things like that so there's a there's a big definition but over i'm trusting in those things over orthodox teachings over over true beliefs so the colossians were trying to add to the gospel of jesus they were saying yeah jesus plus and then it was a whole host of things that they were it was either circumcision or do do eat those foods or don't eat those foods or angel worship or there's so many different things that were happening in this early church and Paul addresses all of them. Bam, 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 bam. And, uh, and, and so we, we go, oh, well, this isn't actually a new problem. This is, this is just an old problem with new language and new uh, ideas, I guess. But what was really cool and I really love about this story, and we're going to wrap up, I'm going to wrap up reading what, uh, what Paul wrote here in, in Colossians chapter 1 about Jesus, is that he was writing to a church who had gone out and picked a bunch of wild inedible gourds and put them in their stew, and all he did was send a letter that was a little bit of flour, and he fixed the stew. Because all it took was adding Jesus, or adding the leaven of the kingdom back in, and it fixed it. That's the best news. That's the Jesus that we love and serve, is that no matter how much we go out and try to add, how much we go out and put inedible stuff in there, he can still clean it up. Ready, willing, and able to fix it so it's edible. I would go, I would, this and that, the story I read about Elisha, that was in a lesser covenant. Now we're in a better covenant. I would say that he doesn't just want to make the stew edible. he wants to make it taste really good because that's better, and we're in a better covenant it should be better. That's a good point. I don't know if you guys got that or not. I might not be making it, but it is a good point all right you can turn to Colossians chapter one and we'll end with this. See, we have to, I just encourage myself, but I encourage all of us here this morning to come back to Jesus as Lord of every area of our lives. If there are areas of your lives that you haven't surrendered to him, that he's not Lord over, because it's very possible for you to be saved and him not be lord over every area of your life. That's it's not I'm not telling you that maybe you're not saved if but if you haven't given him this little corner. It's like Jesus, you can have the whole house, but I'm just going to keep the basement. That's not full surrender. He's not lord over every area of your life. He's worthy of the Lordship. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 15 through 21. This is about Jesus. It says he's the image of the vi- of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together, or, or all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile Himself to all things, reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood that was shed on the cross. This Jesus, worship team, you guys can come up. This Jesus is worth it. It is worth going out and looking at the natural, not seeing the correct ingredients for the stew that you've been instructed to make, but continuing to walk with what you have and then let him bring the increase. But you have to do your part. Let him do his, but you got to do yours. We have to do ours is what I should say. Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit. I want you to come right now, and Holy Spirit, I, we ask you to shine light on any area of our lives that we've added, to, ad, added mixture to that doesn't need to be there, or, or areas of our lives that we haven't surrendered to you, where you haven't been made Lord over certain areas, things that we're still struggling with in our own strength. Are still trying to carry with our own strength when you've said, "Come to me." You said, "Cast your cares." You said, "Surrender." You said, "Lay down." You said, "Take up your cross." Father, that we wouldn't continue any longer to try to do things, or to try to to, to try to accomplish things outside of what you've called us to accomplish, called us to do. We wouldn't try to add and say, well, Jesus, yeah, you took me this far, but I'll do the rest. Or, oh, Jesus, I know that I can come to you when things get really hard, but I'll I'll handle the mundane. Or, Jesus, I give you the mundane, but I'll handle the stuff that gets really hard. They're both wrong. Jesus, I thank you that you're not waiting with a sharp stick to correct us. You're waiting with open arms to say, here, just make me Lord. Just make me Lord. I'll take care of it. Just trust me and I'll, I'll provide. I'll make the, the, the stew go further than it should in the middle of a famine. It's like Patty said earlier, that he doesn't want us to be in fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear. He died to defeat fear. Fear is just faith in the wrong thing. So my prayer this morning, Jesus, I pray that you would let faith arise in us. that you'd let faith arise in us, God, that we would trust you. Help me to trust you, Lord. Help me to trust you. Help me to have faith. You, You said that I could trust you, and you've never shown yourself to be anything but trustworthy. We have story after story after story, and as we saw today, New and Old Testament of endless, miraculous provision and abundance. Yet we settle for loathing in our lack time after time after time. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to trust you and to joyfully walk through each day without any fear. We'll laugh at fear. Ha, nice try. Lord, help us to to truly take hold of the access you've given us to your presence. I thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and that you have plans to prosper us, that you have plans for life for each one of us. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to partner with you in bringing heaven to earth. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I ask Pastor Glenn to come up. He's going to lead us in some ministry time as the worship team closes. Thank you guys. I I encourage you as you go through, as you go through the rest of the day, be conscious of the Lord answering the prayer we just prayed. Because because even if he didn't show you something right in this moment, he's he's always speaking. He's a chatterbox, okay? He's always speaking. I encourage you to listen. Maybe it happens in a dream. Maybe it happens when you wake up. Maybe it's when you're going to the bathroom. Maybe it's when you're at work. I'm telling you, it's any time. We just listened in Sunday school this morning about Bob Jones, you know, talking to to Mike Bickle, and Mike Bickle was like, "How do you know that?" And he's like, "I don't know. An angel just showed up and told me. He, he he didn't sit down and ask for it. He didn't try to squeeze an answer out of God. It's just when God speaks, God speaks. So I encourage you to to, to be attentive to what He would show you because it's for your good. Amen. How many of you appreciate Nate?